Season two is nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Koch here, Chewing the Gristle podcast. It continues unabated. We got some powerful musical friends lined up. We're talking guitars, music, food, aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just chewing the diggity doggone gristle. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to chew that doggone gristle. A fabulous guitar player and one heck of a cool cat. Hailing from the Boston area, legendary manipulator of the Telecaster. You've seen him with Jay Giles, with Peter Wolf, Roseanne Cash. His solo stuff is extremely soulful and cool. I remember I had his record, Country Soul Guitar, back in the day. Ladies and gentlemen, Duke Levine. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, another installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cockery, here with the majestic Duke Levine, <laughs> Telecaster manipulator extraordinaire, extremely soulful cat. Doggone it, Duke, how you doing? Hi, Greg, I'm doing great. Nice to see you. This nice is, to uh, see you, too. This, that was a... That was a uh, a distinctive uh, intro. Thank you. <laughs> I feel better already, and I'm happier already. <laughs> I've heard that good. happens. I've heard that happens when people get around you. It's just like well, I, you know what? Either that, or they've just dosed right before they've come <laughs> in my proximity, which oh, yeah. I recommend. Yeah, there was that too. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I had years ago. I had your record, uh, Country Soul Guitar, and I loved oh, it. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard your name well, for thanks. years on end. Uh, but a few years back, um, it was interesting because when I was in high school, you're a couple years older than I am, but we're about the same age. Not, not that I wanted to point out the fact that you were older than I'm. <laughs> no, I'm older than everyone now. We, we were all the youngest guy for a little while, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly correct. No, no more. <laughs> but when I was in high school, like in 1983, there was a show on... For a brief period of time, it was called Rock and Roll Tonight. And it had this house band, and it would pair unusual folks together. And at this particular evening, Billy Squire, of all people, was the host in front of this house band. And Jeff Beck and um, Les Paul played together. And, of course, being a complete guitar geek at that point in time, I, I had to stay up late, and I recorded it. And as Billy Squire was giving this long introduction to you know, both Jeff and Lester coming on, and they were playing over this tune, and it, it, it sounded uh, familiar, but I could never figure out what the song was. And I always remember the melody in my head, and I was like, what? And, and then as I got older and you know my repertoire started to broaden, I was like, I still could never figure out what the hell that song was. Was it an original or what the deal was? And then finally... I came across a video of you playing that tune, uh, Love and Peace. I was like, that's that song. Oh, no way. They were playing that. They were playing it. And they did oh, it kind of like wild. more of like a, like a, and a real kind of oh, blue. Cool. And, and Jeff Beck just, of course, annihilated. It was, it was yeah, awesome. Right. But that so, song was just, it just pulled my, I just love the melody of that because it's, yeah. You know, it's it's similar to Mercy, 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 but not, you know? Right, yeah. And, and your version just hit me right in the feels, and I had to learn it post-haste. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, man. It's, that's a beautiful tune. So what, was this show like a local show? Or no, like, no. It was, I don't it remember was, it. It was, a, it was a network show that was on for a brief period of time, and what made it even cooler was that the drummer on the show 
was a guy by the name of Rick Jagger, although it was spelt like Jaeger, but he said Jagger for rock and roll purposes, I'm sure. But oh, um, yeah. he was a guy that ended up playing. He was in Dave Mason's band for years. Right. I remember that name. Yeah. Well, he ended up moving back here because he had some connections in the Milwaukee area. And I actually did gigs with him with that same drum set because on one of the time it was an old t- uh, Camco drum set. And on one of the toms, it had this little circle with a clam in it, you know, no clams. And that's what he was using when he played on the show. So there was all kinds of stuff about that particular, but it was only on for a very brief period of time. And he was in the house band. Wow. And, uh, and I recorded it on, you know, I was, I was, a I, you know, I would love recording stuff on VHS tape and learning after the fact. And I studied that thing over and over again, because Jeff was going through an interesting phase at that point, because it was just kind of a clean strat through a twin with just a little bit of slapback delay on it. And it just, really? it was, it was awesome. It didn't so, matter, right? Yeah. Whatever uh, he would, whatever he set the amp up, whatever he was playing, it just would never it, matter. It, it was just, magnificent. Like, get Oh, that's and cool. At one, and that's at one point, fun. he's doing a solo, and Les Paul comes over and unplugs his guitar. You know, they're climbing around. <laughs> As you do. As oh, you that's... do. So where where did you come across that tune? So that was, we used to play, well, it's a friend of mine I still play with, a guy named Dennis Brennan, really great local singer-songwriter, a rocker here. And uh, he turned us on to it. We used to do a weekly gig. You know, this was 25 years ago. He found it on a Quincy Jones record. Ah, that's and right. If, have you heard that version? That, I have, because I, when I did really kind of beautiful. a deep dive, I'm like, where did this song come from? Yeah, And then, you know, so that's kind of what we always knew it from. And we kind of did like a simple version of it back then. He played harp, played harmonica on it. And I think he probably would love that album because it had toots on it. You know, that mm-hmm. Walking in yeah, Space yeah. record. And then uh, years later, I hadn't played it for years. I was just kind of looking around for tunes because I can't write that many. So like, as we do, we look for tunes and I, and I, and I went back and checked out that version and that beautiful, like just the, the there's a beautiful brass arrangement that starts it. And, and that's kind of where I took a lot of what I tried to get in that, my arrangement of it. Cause then once the band comes in, it's a little simpler anyways. Cause I think was it like maybe on that, maybe Eric Gale's on that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And then, and then later found out there was a guy, Arthur, uh, who was it? Arthur, Arthur Adams. Adams. Yes, wrote it, and I think he was in the Crusaders early on. Maybe uh, he was like an. I didn't know much about him at all. I didn't either. And in his version, it's almost like kind of like disco era. Kind of, it's it's like late seventies, probably something like that. Or no, no, it wouldn't have been late because Quincy's version was early seventies. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but he oh he might have recorded it later. Anyways. Exactly, in some kind of later iteration. Uh, that's cool, man. Well, I'm glad you liked it. And I also enjoyed, uh, I've been doing that tune um, way back home for years, but uh, I enjoyed oh, yeah. your, your version of it with the kind of the oh, gospel uh, uh, harmonizing that bass line with the gospel chords, which is right up my eye. I loved it. Yeah. I was like, there's a great, I don't even know if I can find it anymore. There's a great version of, you know, stuff playing it, or it yeah, might be, it might even be the Gad Band. It is the Gad Band. Yeah. Is that what it is with Cornell? Yeah. With Cornell. Bless him. Unlike impossible feel. Right. right. So like that he does. It's like, uh, how do you even you can't I mean, people's right. You can't right. People's feels. It's exactly. not to be it's not to be co-opted or learned or anything. <laughs> That's right. Like, you get as close as you can and inspired by it, I guess. But so let me ask you. So how did you get into the music you got into? Were, were you from a musical family? Did you have siblings? Um, it- yes. And yes. So okay. I yeah, I. uh I'm the youngest of five. I had three older brothers and an older sister. 
And one of my brothers had a full-time, made a go of like a full-time band, like country rock band. And when I was like nine or 10, so they rehearsed in the house every day. So that was pretty cool. Like there was a, a rock and roll band in the basement with a really good guitar player uh, who I ended up playing with later in his band. Um, but also, you know, the great they had the great record collection. So I didn't need to look far to, to be turned on to like all the stuff I love now. You know, they had a, and they had like a lot of people did then. I, I don't know if it was that unusual to have like an eclectic collection, you know, like I had, you know, Stones and the Beatles and the band, but also like Doc Watson and Merle Haggard and, um, you know, B.B. Uh, King and Holland Wolf. So that in Butterfield, especially, I remember those records heavy from that time when I was younger. So, yeah, that was and they all kind of got us started playing guitar. My sister and I are closer in age. So they, a couple of our brothers got us, you know, going with chords and stuff. And uh, we got a uh, we my dad bought us each a Yamaha FG 75. Aha. One of those small bodied Yamahas, which I think were forty five dollars each at the time. So this was like 1970 or so. Awesome. Yeah. And away you went. And away we went. And uh, yeah, and then I, I ended up starting, you know, I'm sure you had a similar experience getting in, getting in with a band around when I was 12. Right. Puberty and strikes and you need a band. Yeah, right. Well, it just kind of kind of happened. And uh, we stayed together all through high school and actually played gigs. You know, there were gigs then. You know, I right. think there are again, but there were dances and, and proms. And, and by the end, we had we had a manager who was a little older who bought a, a bus. And we had our own lights and sound. And, of course, all of our buddies wanted to be our road crew. So it was kind of like a, a pretend real band. Isn't that wild school. when you think about, you know, back when we were young, how there were bands that played at every dance? Yeah. And they, you know, I remember when I was on, those bands were, they were like the huge bands in the area. And they would come in full well, production. There was that too, yeah. It was fabulous. Right. There was that too. There were the bigger bands. Like we opened up for some of the bigger regional bands in our area. And uh, did you ever know, do you know John Butcher? I know, I don't know him personally, but we've, you know, we've intergoogled. <laughs> you know who he is, yeah. So he had a band, he was based around here. And I remember we opened up for one of his early bands. Like we were like all 14 and 15 and, you know, it's just the thrill, you know. like the, It's awesome. Yeah. And that's really a shame that, that kids don't get that same experience, but not to sound like kids these days. But that was just such an <laughs> awesome thing, you know. You know, yeah. my youngest is uh, is 17, and he's in high school now. And, uh, and, and it's just, it's, you know, he likes music. He plays sax. He, you know, he's into some jazz stuff. And he likes everything from, you know, German metal to, uh, to you know, funkier things. He listens to the, you know, the meters every now and again or something. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, what's interesting about it is music just isn't as uh, all-encompassing as it was for us. You know what I mean? Right. I totally know, yeah. Um, it's... It's a in in some ways. Well, you I don't have kids, and you have, you're closer to this. But um, I feel like in one way I, I've been encouraged in the past 10, 15 years, and I feel like wow, kid, younger kids seem to be open to like whatever style, which I think is so great. Because like I remember when we were kids, it was a little more identity based, you know, yes. like you, if, which was cool because it meant you were really into it. Like like I'm really into this and not that, and you know, you made choices, right? <laughs> Maybe I mean perhaps. 
but but I was kind of encouraged by that fact. I, I would see kids into whatever. Could you know? Again, it seemed really eclectic, and they were if it was good, they liked it. But I also felt like there was an element where they weren't as attached to it. Maybe, like you're saying, maybe there's not as much of an emotional attachment that just it's on and and you can like it and. But it's not well, the same thing. Well, to your point, I was I was having this discussion with my kids, and I was like, you know, uh, we were talking about. I was like, well, are are your friends like really into music? I mean, do you guys talk about what kind of tunes you're into? And he's like, well, not really. I mean, this guy's into that, and I, I go, you know, I used to, I remember saying in high school, you can you, you can tell. Everything you need to know about a person by what kind of music they're into. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. that clearly is not the case. <laughs> right. It's not the case anymore. Except there was a little bit of the case with the indie thing for a while where you could only like stuff that no one else knew about. Right. I mean, once, you know, there was that whole thing, but I don't even know if that exists anymore. But but I am out of touch. Yeah, you're sitting here in my little room with amps. (laughs) So let's talk about the room. I'm in my little room. You're in your little room. During COVID here, we've had to get creative. And, um, you know, I I noticed that you've taken a route that that some people have done. And and certainly, you know, I I need to, to get on board with. But you do the Patreon thing as opposed to... Some of the other social media things, you know, you do yeah. every now and again, you'll put a little taster out there like, hey, right. check this out. But you come over here and that and that's a really cool way of going about how, how's it all been for you in that regard? Is it is it been? Um... It's been great. I mean, um, I was really uh, pleasantly surprised at the response to it because, you know, I never know. Um and I think that maybe partly it was a, it was a good time to do it because I think there were people that also just wanted to support musicians or right. businesses or anybody that was so maybe the uh maybe that factor helped too you know like and i and i hadn't done you know and i know I, maybe you do the people have been doing like the live streaming with the tip jar which is which is right. great too it's just another version of it it's right like, but i hadn't since i hadn't done any of that i think uh whoever might have wanted to support or see what i was doing kind of had to come over to the patreon thing Right. So, and I've really, it gave me something to do. You know, I kind of, uh, I spent some time on it, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever you wing it and you do what you think people will like. You talk to people. Right. Which is nice. I don't know. That's kind of, this is fun. Yeah, um, yeah. and just kind of, I was lucky people had, had an interest in wanting to learn how to play some of my tunes, which I thought was cool. I'm not, I haven't been a teacher that much. So, um, I'm getting into like just presenting stuff how I can, you know, and, and hopefully that that works and getting feedback. So and all, all in all, it's been great. And it's really it really gave me something to do. And I'm, I will continue doing it, you know. But yeah, I was yeah, going to ask you, because I, I think everyone's kind of in a situation where now things have opened up and seemingly opened up a lot quicker than we all thought. You know, I think we were all of the mindset of, well, maybe in the fall we'll start doing some things. And then it's like two months ago, someone just flipped a switch and said, you know what, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is, you know, and of course now it might be bouncing back a little bit with, you know, variants and God knows what else. But that being said, I, I think that a lot of people got a taste of, well, wait a minute, I, I don't have to take all these other you know, ancillary gigs that maybe I wouldn't take if I didn't have to now that I can do stuff in my damn right. house. Right. There was some of that for sure. I think in, in, and all across everybody's work, you know, I think restaurant right. workers in particular, you know, right. it's like, what was I doing this for? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really feel like that. I've, 
I kind of feel like the amount of stuff I'm I was doing the, for live stuff is it will hopefully get back to what I was doing, and I don't think it'll. You know, I I, I felt like I was already at the point where I wasn't necessarily doing gigs that I didn't want to do, which right. is really nice. You know, yes, that's absolutely. fantastic, and lucky to be able to do that. Um, and it's coming back a little, you know, just because people are scrambling to book stuff. I'm starting to do gigs here and there in the fall. It's kind of, it should be kind of back to almost normal. But, right. but, uh, but also this, this thing, the Patreon thing is like no reason to, to uh, it's not neither or for me. You know, I'm, I love keep, keep doing it as long as I can, as long as people are interested. Right. Absolutely. So, and I'll, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was, I was checking out some of it. Have you, how often do you do I was checking out a couple of the trio things from oh, yeah, 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 from yeah. that room. I could, and are you doing that like weekly or more than weekly? Or? Uh, we do it every other week with the, with the trio, and because because Toby lives up in Minneapolis, uh, so that's a good five hours away from here. So uh, he has he has his kids every other weekend. So we we've worked it so he comes down. Um, you know we we've, we've tr- we started to do that last summer. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's the learning curve is really the gear. Cause I am like anti gear guy. I mean, I, you know, I know how to plug stuff in and go, Oh, this sounds good. But the right, no idea- one, no, no one wanted to have to learn how to like set up a video camera ever. Right? Oh my God. Right. So <laughs> I was, I was lucky that, um, my buddy Ryan Fitzsimmons from Fishman. Oh yeah. Ryan. Yeah. yeah Ryan has been extraordinarily helpful. So the stuff that I had done for Fishman, um, they were already prior to the pandemic trying to, uh, saying, Hey, you know, you got a lot of things going on online. What if we did more stuff online? We'll set you up with some gear for your room. So it's been, oh, cool. it's been kind of a combination of stuff. My son bought a new computer cause he wanted to get some recording stuff happening and he bought a, you know, an interface to start plugging stuff in. And we're like, well, if we want to get the organ player in here, then we got to get, we need more inputs. And then a buddy of mine from Tascam was like, hey, what, what do you think about having Tascam be a member of your sponsorship thing and we'll set you up? I'm like, great. So we got this uh, Model 24. So we, we basically came from initially just having this mic into a laptop. Uh, and then finally we got this Model 24. Everything goes into there, which goes into the computer uh, with, uh, logic and then logic speaks, speaks to for, through loopback through OBS and the camera. Yeah. But Ryan actually, he zaps into our computer, uh, via, uh, via, um, team viewer. So he's actually doing sound and working cameras for us as we're doing those. What, three what, what? Yeah. <laughs> So that makes life a lot easier. I was going to say, easier. it sounds freaking great. Oh, you know, of course the playing sounds amazing. And then the last thing I saw was you playing a strat. Yeah, yeah. Like just a couple last week or the week before. Yeah, that was last week. And it was like, I have never heard of the, that is like the quintessential frigging beautiful Strat sound. Oh, well, thank you. You know, it was, it was funny. I, I was, it was Father's Day and, um, and my birthday's like two, three days after Father's Day. So I kind of get a twofer. Happy birthday. I like to say, I get a little twofer. Well, thank you. Nice. And so, um. I, you know, everyone was home. I got, I got four kids and they're all home because of COVID. So it's a house full of giant humans. Right. <laughs> and so I just like, you know, I, I, I need to get out of here for a little bit. And I was like, go ahead. You know, go and I go, I think I'm going to go to the, I, I'm going to go to the guitar store. She goes, you need a little self care. I'm like, that sounds like a green light to me. So, <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> so, so I went into the store and I'm looking around and, you know, I'm checking out, uh, different guitars and you know guitars are so damn expensive these days you know what i mean it's like oh my god you know i'm they trying really to are, man. Like, 
So anyway, out of the corner of my eye, I see this big headstock strat, you know, and I was like, what is that? And then, and then I pick it up and it weighed like nothing. And I was like, what's the deal with this guitar? Like, yeah, we got it for some guy from Texas. You know, we bought it from him and we picked it up. We're like, where's the rest of it? I'm like, it's like seven and a quarter pounds. Wow. And, uh, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, it's like a 70s guitar? Yeah, it's a 74. And then I, I still got the three-way toggle switch. I plugged it in. It sounded amazing. It played great. You know, I grew up playing on a 68 telly, so I'm used to that kind of era of right. neck, you know? It's different, right, yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's plus those little frets are conducive to certain vibratos in a way that the bigger frets aren't, you know? So I, mm. I just it just spoke to me, and I, I bought the damn thing. And I can't stop thinking about it. It's like I wake up and I'm like thinking about that freaking guitar. <laughs> it sounded so awesome. You know, oh, and I know again, it's like I never like to say that because we know it's not. It's, it's the it's the operator. I know, but uh, but also, but just the fact, it's not always easy to have that translate through all this stuff. Right, exactly. As we know, miking. You know, we we probably get better at it as we go, figuring out how to get a sound with a microphone. And I have as much as I can, and we watch. I watch my friends who are great engineers and get as much as I can from them, but it still doesn't always, it's like, Hey, it doesn't sound like it really does in the room, but right. whatever, whatever's happening over there. Right. Well, thanks. And Ryan has a lot to do with it. You know, we, we ended up, you know, initially uh, we had this condenser mic that I years ago, M audio gave me some stuff and I never ended up using it. And I had this box of stuff and I go, what's this thing? This looks <clears> like <throat> a nice mic. And then mm. Ryan's like, yeah, put that, put that thing on the amp. So we did that, and at one point I was like, you know, let's just try a 57 on there as well. So we we ended up doing a combo of those two mm -hmm. mics, and that seems to really kind of do it. But man, when we're when we're jamming with that trio in this room, man, it's louder than the word of God. <laughs> I bet it was loud, but it's just like again, it's like however you're doing it, especially in a smaller room, you know, that that can be a real challenge, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. But it did it, it sounded completely natural, and everything sounded great. Oh, well, thanks. What, and what amp was it? Well, my now that amp, we're talking I, I, about it. About, about four or five years ago, um, I was in music mess, at Music Mess in, in Frankfurt, and I was doing a Fishman thing, actually. And right across the way was Cock Amplifiers, my same last name. And I'd seen these amps for years, and I had played one, and I really liked it. So... Uh, Dolph Cock and his wife came over and said, hey, you know, we're fans of yours. We got some, some of your CDs. And I said, well, I played one of your amps once and I really, really liked it. And we both joked, well, wouldn't it be funny if we worked together? And I'm like, well, that would be a marketing coup. And uh, I ended up using one of their amps at the show and I loved it. Uh, the clean oh, cool. sound sounded great. And with their amps, there's like a clean sound and then you have the ability to have like a rhythm volume and a lead volume. So there's like a boost for both channels. So you can have nice clean sound. And then if you want a solo lead sound that's just clean but a little bit more, you can have it. Mm -hmm. Lead sound, same thing. Nice kind of like plexius overdrive. And then there's like an overdrive boost. And then there's this other increment that you can add above it. And the reverb sounded great. So I was like, and they're like, well, if we did a signature amp, what would you do? And I always liked Vibroluxes. So I said, well, listen, mm -hmm. I like two, I like two tens. Uh, I love the way you're you know, your amps are laid out, but I love harmonic vibrato, like from Brownie or a Fender amps. Can you, can you do that? And they're like, oh yeah, we can, we can come up with something. And then I said, I, I like a little bit more of a, con, uh, a lush reverb one that you can kind of dial in a little bit more. So I'd like the three control reverbs, like the old reverb tanks. Can we do that? Absolutely. So it's basically their amp, uh, their clean sound, lead sound with the gain boost. And then there's this OTS feature that they have, which is an output 
tube, tr- you know, whatever the hell that means. It's basically a half watt power amp tube that you can overdrive and add to either channel. So it's like having a tube driver wow. built into the amp. Oh, cool. So if I'm on the clean sound and I hit that OTS, it just sounds like I've dimed a blackface amp. If yeah. I add that to the lead sound, it sounds like I just added a fuzz. So I've been literally going to gigs with a guitar, a chord, and that amp, and I'm done. I was just going to say, like, no pedals? It's, just, it's you know. Not, but, but now that I've been in this, you know, the room of shame here, I have had... <laughs> I've, I've, I do like to have a little bit of delay going through the effects loop. So lately I've been addicted to just having a little bit of slap back in there as well. We have to have delay, right? Exactly. And then, I you know, know because of the myself. stuff thing, I've been addicted to um, using a phaser again. I, oh, I, yeah, I just, the phase shifter. I love it. The greatest, right? Yeah. Uh, so what's your phase shifter of choice? Well, you know, I, you know I, you're a jam pedals guy. I've, I've loved jam pedals. I've been known those guys yeah. for years, and I love their phaser. But yeah, at some point during... Um, the Cove, I was dropping my guitar off at this uh, store in Milwaukee here, and I said, what do you guys got for phasers? I'm like, well, we got this MXR Phase 95 that you can actually make be any of the different eras of MXR phasers. So I got it, and as soon as I put it on the, the Phase 45 setting, I was like, that's it. Mm, that's yeah, the, that's, that's a good the one. Eric Gale sound. That's yeah. the uh, the Steve Hunter sound from the Rock and Roll Animal record. You know what I mean? It just it did that thing. So I've been addicted to that freaking pedal. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have a 40, an original 45. And then, but my favorite lately has been the, the small, I have a 70s a small, small stone. stone from then. And right. it's like, and I, the new one's pretty good too, but it's really like that to me. And I've, I, have a, I have an original 90 and I've got a few different ones, but still somehow that, that small stone just seems like the most beautiful to me. Isn't but they're that, all cool. And isn't it like, wild how they just... For leads, they're fantastic. You don't realize how many leads from that era were done with just a little bit of phaser on, sometimes a lot of phaser, but it just, it's crazy. And didn't, I don't know, what did, like Lindley, did, did Lindley use a phaser? Because early on, it was did. like, just, it was that, it was very, it was almost like, you say it was like a little more subtle because with his vibrato and his wild tone. Right. But there was, it was, it was, I think it was phase that he I used. Think so too. Something like that, where it was like a little, just a little bit. You know, yes. You can hear it, though. Yeah. But God, it's just, it's, and it's an intoxicating sound. <laughs> so I've been having fun with that. Yeah. Well, that's uh, awesome. And then I, and then I messed around with, years ago, I, you know, I love the sound of a, a magnetone. Um, but there's this, I don't know if you're hip to this, this guy that makes, it's big, Bigfoot custom effects, makes a pedal called the Magnavibe. Oh, I have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds those good. Those are good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been having fun with that as well. So that kind of complements the actual, the harmonic vibrato on the amp actually sounds more like a univibe, and I use it for that kind of right. thing. It kind of does. Like the original ones, that's they exactly. that was kind of the thing, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's just, you know, fun little textury things. Yeah, and yes, speaking of uh, the jams, I really, I've been using their vibrato, the uh, waterfall a lot. Because that's nice, isn't it? It's so beautiful. You know, I've got a bunch of vibratos and I have a couple of magnetones and they're all all great. But there's something about that, like like the phasers. They're all they're all slightly different. And they all do us and the the their thing does a subtle thing so so beautifully. It's like I've been kind of addicted to that lately. It's hard to turn off after a while. Yes, I really although I make it. myself do it. Their, their wawa is particularly nice as well. The wacko. They got some great crap. I they know. do. It's awesome. And if you ever get a chance to go over there and hang with those guys, 
it's a, it's a blast. I I would love to do that. We were talking about it, so hopefully that's going to happen. You've been? I've been. We we uh, a couple of years ago now. We were there. Um, we, it just it was it was a blast. We did this gig at the, it was their anniversary party, and we played at this venue that was there was like a balcony outside, and you saw the Acropolis from stage. And, and, and then plus, they know how to eat over there. Lord have mercy. Well, you know, we flew in. The first day we flew in, and it was kind of late when we got in. They're like, we're going to go to a restaurant. So we, we went to this Airbnb. They set us up, nice digs, and we went out to meet the bunch of the jam pedal folk at this, this restaurant. It was probably 10 o'clock at night. And they proceeded to bring out just piles of meat. <laughs> you know, uh. and, and all the accoutrements. The next thing you know, it's like, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and we're still eating, and it's like yeah, Greece is magnificent. I'm going. <laughs> That's done. Well, the Euro thing too. It's like they don't eat dinner before nine o'clock, right? Ever. Right. Anywhere over there. I, I mean, my memory of it, anyways. Yes. That's awesome. It's magnificent. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers. Makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristletone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So how much of your own band are you doing at this point in time versus work with other other folks? Um, not, at this point, nothing, but... Uh... Yeah, I my own band I play with some. It's like I've I've kind of been splitting that. I mean, mostly play with other people. So like that's kind of you know my that's anything else is kind of side stuff. Like my own band is actually a side thing. And then I have this band called the Super Sweet Sounds of the Seventies. So which has kind of been I've been doing equally as much as my original stuff. And that's we take a. Uh, tunes from the 70s and do instrumental versions and it's mostly stuff from the early part of the decade it's it, it's mostly stuff that that is in my brain from when i was growing up and even if it's a song i didn't like if it if it's if it's weird and it had an impact we try to make something of it and uh it's been really fun it's like amazing players and awesome. that's kind of been my i've been spending maybe more time on that the past couple of years than my own thing but uh yeah you know, I was going to ask what what attracted you to the Telecaster. Was it was it because uh, it was the the people that played them, or was it the instrument that was available to you, or kind of a combination of the both? Well, yeah. Um, let's see. I was playing a Strat mostly in my first record, my first instrumental record, "Nobody's Home." I was I just had a Strat and I was playing in all the country stuff on that and then at some point you know as i didn't have many guitars i think i had i had a really great strat because you know my brother sells guitars so Uh my brother sells vintage guitars so at the time i have an original 63 strat that i still have it's amazing and i think it cost it was like 1800 bucks at the time or something but you know in the in the 80s i remember those days yeah i know we remember (laughs) uh and then at a certain point this was like maybe early nineties. I was like, I should have a Telecaster, you know, it'd be great to have a Tele. I don't think growing up, I didn't play one. I, I think I might've had one for a short time, but like growing up, I had a Les Paul gold top or a nice. Strat. 
And that's what kind of what, those were what I played. So anyways, I found a telly. This was probably early 90s. And uh, for a while I was playing, but I would bring, you know, kind of split it between Strat and telly for a while. And then after a certain point, I, I just kind of gravitated towards the telly for kind of obvious reasons. Right. Um, and yeah, I just kind of been playing ever since. And, you know, I was into some of the uh, some of the country players already anyways you know i loved albert lee i loved you know the early merle haggard stuff roy nichols but albert lee in that time especially like in the 80s um when i started getting into that but i was playing a strat trying to play any of that stuff so i had like a hardtail 70s strat at some point through the 80s and they had a and they had a country band like that did honky tonk stuff and that's why i played a strat so um it wasn't until a little later i got the telly and yeah, I just more and more as I get older, I just I have some other great guitars that I love, and, and but uh, really, if it comes down to it, it's it. I always hit the telly is kind of what I play. You know, it's just I understand anything else, especially going to a Gibson. It's it's fun. It's like it's great, but it, I don't know. It just I don't have a. It's my touch isn't. I I can get what the what the guitar does, you know, and what what they're great at, and I can appreciate it, and I love them. But ultimately, it's more of a narrow thing that I can accomplish on it musically. I for me, I understand. Yeah, yeah you know, tellers right? are. Uh, you know, it's interesting you should mention Albert Lee. Albert Lee was my gateway drug to this whole yeah th- that whole aspect of stuff. And oh, and it cool. Was, and it was because of um, him playing on that Clapton record, just one night. Oh, I don't know that one. When it, was it, the- this this came out in. In 1980, and and uh, what was so great about that record was it was a live record, double album, and it was like uh, the reason why it was so exciting at the time because everyone thought that Clapton couldn't play anymore because of you know the 70s he just didn't manifest right. any of the glorious stuff he did right. earlier on, and everyone was just like God, I wish he would just play something again where he just you know a little bit of that thing that he used to do, and he came out with that record and and um, and he mostly played this really cool, clean Strat sound almost entirely on that number two position on the Strat. It sounds like he's got a little phaser on, maybe a Hera Echo, and, and he's going back and forth and doing solos with this other guy. And there's there's um, one of my favorite solos of all time is this. They do a version of Further On Up The Road, and Albert Lee does a two-chorus solo. And I just heard that at, at that young age and thought, well, that's not the blues scale. <laughs> there's, there's something right. else afoot here. But you know, and it wasn't re- he wasn't really doing any chicken picking on there, per se. Although they do a version of uh, Albert's version of Setting Me Up, the Dire Straits tune. Oh, yeah. They, they did on that record. And Albert played this magnificent solo. But that stuff, I, I heard that. I was like, well, this is something completely different from the stuff I'd been listening to. Oh, so, yeah. So then I remember I asked my parents for Christmas that year. I was like, Find me an Albert Lee record, and by God, they did. They found one of his solo records oh, that cool, had right. uh, a version of Sweet Little Lisa on it and a bunch yeah. of other stuff, and so that that got me going. And then Ray Flack playing with uh, Ricky Skaggs. Same. Totally the same. And I heard that. I was like, what is Huge, this? Huge, right? Yeah. And which was just so bizarre, because here are these English guys turning me on to this American music, which I guess is the sto- a, a time that, or a story that's as old as time. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm exactly the same. Those two guys, and I got to check out that Albert, uh, that Clapton record I'd never heard, but but the, the Dave Edmonds, Sweet Little Lisa, oh, that yeah. was, right? That was just so, like, seminal. It was like, oh, my God. And I think I knew it was a bender, but I was like, whatever. I got to try to right. try to get in. And, of course, years later, now you can watch it on YouTube. 
You've seen exactly. that, Exactly. Right? I saw yeah. that. It's crazy. It's amazing. But um, in Flack, in that Ricky Skaggs record, between Flack and, and Bruce Boughton, the steel player. Right. Which those two guys on that record were just, in, or maybe there's a, two records, I think, just insane. And I've, and I've even lately gone back and, and looked at YouTubes of, of that band with those guys in it. Isn't it crazy that he, it sounds like he's playing the neck pickup on that telly through that lab series amp. And it's well, some of it is. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. I know. And, um, and I did get to see him play a couple times, at least once he was doing this. He played in Nashville with, uh, maybe in the nineties with Jamie Hartford, he had a weekly gig. I saw Did you that. ever get I, to see one of those? I yeah. did. Yep. And did you, did you meet him? Did you talk to him at all? I did. And, yeah. and, and he's a character. He, he was a character. I, probably, I think he's still a character. I mean, he's still yeah. around, but I don't think he yeah. plays all that much, but yeah, I, I saw I one of those so. gigs and it was, it was magnificent. Yeah. He is. And like you are, man, you've taken that vocabulary and, and, and stretched. And I know it's, this is so awesome. And I, that's what I felt about him. Yeah, he's playing the stuff, but it's it's somehow just a little, not quite right down the middle, right? It's like it almost <laughs> reminded me of, of like back in a certain way. Like it well, was just, he was he had a unique kind of thing about him, you know, his style and what it, what he chose to play. Well, I don't know if you if you, you know I read this article in Guitar Player magazine with him, and he was a huge Richie Blackmore fanatic. Yeah, which is wild. I mean, <laughs> that's his man, Richie Blackmore. This is dude. Go figure. I do love me some Richie Blackmore, though. I mean, oh, unbelievable, right? <laughs> he is unbelievable. Although the wig, you know, not that I'm judging, but uh, at some point you just got to let it go. I didn't, uh, I didn't know there was a wig involved now. And then speaking of Albert Lee and, and, and Clapton playing on the second position, and now Albert Lee plays like a strat. Right? I know. Most of the time. It's wild. How about those two instrumental records that he did? Gagged But Not Bound and Speechless. Did you have those two? I don't have those, actually. Oh. Those were, there was a, in the in the 80s, mid-80s or so, uh, uh, MCA had this, like, MCA Master Series. I remember right? that. I think I had a Jerry Douglas, maybe. There you go. That. There's Jerry Douglas and um, was the bass player. Edgar Edgar Meyer, maybe. Thank you. And yeah. and then two Albert Lee records that were no, instrumental. I, I uh, miss those. Oh, you got you got to check them out. They're fantastic. I'm writing all this down because like, uh, <laughs> one was one was called the first one was called Speechless, and the other one was called Gagged but Not Bound. Okay. And they're it's just it's just a uh, a buffet of of licks to be absconded with <laughs> <laughs> and is he was he still playing his telly then or it is it's definitely i mean there's a little bit of stratterizing on there um <laughs> but it's cool it's like some straight ahead you know there's some bluegrassy stuff there's some you know rock and roll chicken picking stuff and there's like django-esque things and it's really cool he's deep man that guy and we're, so were you playing a telly like early on like when you were a kid well i always wanted to I always wanted a strap. Well, first I wanted, it was weird because uh, uh, I, I was really into Hendrix and I was really into like Cream Era Clapton. And for some reason, um, my my older brother, I'm the youngest of seven and I had to room with my older oh, wow. brother who was the oldest. And so there were five girls in between. So I roomed with my brother. And for some reason he didn't have Zeppelin in his in his record collection. So didn't I, really, either. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't really listen to Zeppelin. Same. But, we but then really when either. I got Zeppelin one, it like blindsided me. So 
was like, oh, what is this? Because as a guitar, I mean, it's like one thing I will say, you know, unapologetically is that Zeppelin, that's just like the funnest guitar stuff to play. It's, it's just fun as hell. And that Pretty record amazing, in particular, yeah. you know what I mean? Because you got some of the acoustic stuff, you know, and the blues and yep. the, you know, all, the whole nine yards. So two, um, yeah. I went from wanting a Strat to wanting a Les Paul. So I think the first electric guitar I had was like a Lotus Les Paul. <laughs> Lotus. But, then, but then I wanted a Fender. And, and then at that point in time, I got like a Fender Lead One. Remember those? Yeah. With just with the single humbucker in back. But what I wanted was the neck pickup on uh, a Fender guitar because that was the sound right. to me that Hend encapsulated everything that was great about Hendrix to me. Right. I loved Hendrix's clean the stuff. The clean, the clean neck pickup. Right? Is, is there anything that has ever approached that sound? It's ever? the most glorious thing. Yeah. No, I know. So my guitar teacher at the time, um, he was selling a '68. Telecaster. And, um, and I played that guitar and I played that neck pickup. I was like, that's it. That's all I want. And, um, and I had a little bit of money saved and I got my dad at the right time where he was actually like, I'll, I'll pitch in the, the difference. And so I bought that guitar. So that was my main guitar for all through high school. And so much so that I remember my older sister had a, a friend of hers that she knew from high school whose uh, husband had been in bands and had like a 65 or 64 Strat. And he just let me use it for a while. It's like, I don't, I don't play it, but I, you know, I don't want to sell it, but you can use it. And I remember getting that Strat and, and playing the neck pickup on that. And I didn't like it like I liked the telly because there was this wimpy thing to the telly neck pickup mm. that I had this extra squish to it. The the, ah. the strat was a little too hard for me. It didn't it didn't have the the strat's always the more kind of pointy and more yeah everything everything dynamic which, which and is all the that thing, stuff. Which is the reason why I think I like this seventy four strat so much because that neck pickup is squishier. It does that squish thing a little bit more because yeah. I guess they were underwound a little bit more in that ear. Whatever. So I, I ended up using that telly for a period of time, and then um, I went to this. Um, um, I, my, I got a little scholarship for like this week long jazz camp and God knows where Wisconsin. And I was there and I brought my telly as, as you do. And, um, and there was another guy there who had a 335 and he always wanted to play a three, a telly. And, and I, and I, the only reason I was interested in the 335 is because when I got to this jazz camp, thank God, the guy that was the jazz guitar teacher there was not one of these guys where you had to play an ES-175 with flat wound strings through a polytone, you know, right. yeah. he was like, Hey, I really like this kind of bluesy kind of country stuff that you're doing. You know, if you ever wanted to add a little bit more jazz to it, you should check out this guy, you know, Larry Carlton. And he plays a 335 and he played me a record with the 335 with with uh, and then he played a Yellow Jackets or a Tom Scott record with Robin Ford, mm -hmm. and then I had to have a three thirty five. So, <laughs> right. so then I kind of went that way, and then years later I just forced myself to play a Strat, uh, which was hard. It was hard to make the transition. Freaking Strat's the hardest guitar to play, man. I love mine. I, every time I go back, I appreciate it, and it's just like, I just I wish I could play it better. It, they're they're a beast. They're they're less the least forgiving, I guess. Right? Is that what it is? Or and I, I shouldn't say that. Not it depends how you. I don't know. It just depends. You know what I think about a telly is that all three sounds sound good, and, and every time you're like, there we go, we're done. With strats, it's always a struggle. It's like, well, the neck sounds good today, but the bridge sound, eh, maybe I'll just stay on neck today. It's just right? skinnier all around, so it's like if you're used to any bigger any size at all. We always joke about. I don't know if you ever. 
I don't. Did you ever meet my friend Kevin Barry? I don't know if you know who he is. He's no, but he's awesome. a steel player. Kyle. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's amazing guitar player, steel player. But we always joke because he's been playing so much steel, especially when we play together lately. And he got you know beautiful, crazy sound. And his thing lately, it's like last ten years, like I can't get it. I can't get a guitar sound. I can't get a guitar sound. It's like I've been pedals or the amp. I crank up the amp. It's. it's, it's I was like. You just want it to sound like the steel, and it's just never going to. Right. Like, so he's already made that adjustment, right? It's like there's this thick, all-sustaining sound. Right. It's like no guitar is ever going to do that. But I kind of feel like that with strats. So I go back to a strat, and it's like, eh, doesn't do this, and it doesn't do that. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's at, at one thing. point, I was so sick of the idiosyncrasies of a strat. Uh, especially just keeping them in tune. Because I like, you know, the floating whammy bar, and I use my yep. palm a lot, and, yeah. and then any of the little, you know, the antics with Mr. Wiggles, as I like to call it. <laughs> it's, it's just so hard to keep them in tune. It's like you got to be MacGyver, and I am not MacGyver. <laughs> Either that or play it all the time to where maybe it just acquiesces, and it, it, it's, you know, the, you hear people that play them, and it's like, how come it's playing in tune all the time? Just because right. it's just all they play. Maybe it's just the guitar is behaving or whatever. Exactly. And then at one point I just said, I'm just going to go back, play, back playing the Telecaster. I don't have to worry about any of the stuff. It'll stay in tune. And, uh, and that's what ended up happening. And then, you know, I, I started playing mostly that. And then, you know, I started working on those pickups with Fishman. And then I did the Reverend guitar. And, uh, but at the, at the same time, I got, you know, worked on the Strat pickups with them as well and got them on a Strat. So then I started kind of rotating between all of the above again, which has been oh, okay. fun. Yeah, and well, whatever that strat now, that's doing, I think, whatever you would want it to do. It's a good one. You know what? I, I like the three-way toggle this, switch in it. Oh, yeah. So You I have to really work if you want it in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been using them. You know, I just yeah. thought, you know, I, I love those sounds, uh, but there's something when you get a good middle pickup sound, because, again, being such a Hendrix fanatic, you know, most of those sounds that we thought were like the four or the two position, although I know he did use them every now and again, but a lot of times it was just that middle pickup. And that's the sound every time I hear it, it's like, oh, it's quackalicious. Yeah, <laughs> gonna... it's just, yeah. And what about, do you, I don't, I haven't read a lot, but did he use super light strings, Hendrix? Or did well, he there... use light strings then tuned down? And... Th there's some controversy in regard to that. People are like, oh, he used a custom set, or he used really heavy strings, or he used really light. I, I, I don't know. I, have, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole, although I, I, <laughs> I heard a good story from, from uh, has nothing to do with the string gauges, but just him changing strings. Ed King told me this story when he was in Strawberry Alarm Clock, and they were opening up for Hendrix. Oh, wow. um, he was in this dressing room, and they whisk Jimmy in, and he's getting ready to go on stage, and they were in a hurry. So Jimmy's, like, frantically changing strings, and his roadie comes in, and he's with him, and he gets them all set up, and he takes this, like, vending, you know, like, movie theater vending box full of Snickers bars and opens it up and just starts taking one after another, unwrapping them. And as Jimmy's restringing, he's going, oh, he's <laughs> just shoving Snickers bars in Jimmy's mouth. It's like... <laughs> As, as a little protein surge before he goes wow, on stage, that. I was like, you know, I thought I loved Jimmy before. Wow. But then fantastic. when I thought that he's going to have about five or ten full-size Snickers bar before he takes the stage, God bless him. Holy crap. <laughs> it's amazing. I don't even know what that story means. but it's just No, the, it's, it's, it's great. Any of that stuff. It's like any, it was, any insight is amazing. But, yeah, I always think like those – have you ever – 
Do you ever use nines or have you ever messed with that? Or, you know, I, it doesn't I, sound like it, but I switched to tens at some point. Um, I went to tens pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used nines when I was younger. And then at some point, one of my guitar teachers was like, you should really use tens. They'll stay in tune better. You won't break them as much. I was like, okay. And then, and then when I switched to the telly kind of full time, I, I went to 11s. And, and I, my thought was, well, maybe oh, wow. that'll, ma- that'll make me slow down and it'll make the guitar stay in tune. And, uh, and none of that happened, but it did, but it did sound, it did sound a little bit better and I got comfortable with it pretty quick. But what happened was, is with all the other stuff I do, like, you know, if I'm going out to Wildwood to shoot the guitar videos, or if I was going over to Europe and like grabbing guitars off the wall, they all have tens on them. So I thought, right. nah, screw it. You know, it's. Why, why get used to something different when I'm the home front when I'm just going to be using the same thing everywhere else anyway? So, I And you with, felt like you could do everything you, you like to do with 11s on a telly. I did, yeah. It, 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 it felt pretty, pretty normal to me. And it wasn't like the, you know, the hard guy thing, oh, I'm going to use heavier strength. Uh, I just really wanted it for the point of view of, of stability and hoping that it would make the guitar stay in tune a little bit more. Um, uh, and it did. I mean, it's kind of a funny story. You know, when people talk about using heavier strings, there's no doubt that they sound different. Uh, but when they, you know, when they talk about Stevie Ray Vaughan, well, Stevie tuned down to, to E flat. Plus he used like bass frets on those freaking guitars back. So it's like, you know, it's almost right. like a scallop fretboard. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard right. the story, but I, I always remember it. And it's like one of those things when you remember these stories, like, am I remembering this right or did I make it up at some point? No, but I remember reading an article. Remember when Don Johnson from from uh, Miami Vice did a record in the 80s? I'm not sure. But. Well, what's interesting about Don Johnson, apparently he was like, he was buddies with Zappa and he was buddies with the Allman Brothers. He wrote a bunch of tunes with the Allman Brothers for that Enlightened Rogues record. Oh, and wow. and his buddies know. with the Stones, and so on this record, he's got like Dickie Betts and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Bonnie Raitt and Ronnie Wood. They're all on Don Johnson's record. So Dickie Betts was telling the story about working on this Don Johnson record, and Stevie Ray Vaughan came in to do a session. And apparently, it was at a point in time where Stevie hadn't been touring all that much, so his calluses weren't quite up to to battle condition. So he comes in to do the session, and Dickie Betts says he that Stevie Ray Vaughan took off his boot. And he took off his sock and grabbed a little knife and grabbed just a little piece of heel callus and super glued it to his finger so that no. he could. And I'm like, you know what? If that's what it takes to play 13s, you go. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's commitment, man. That is commitment. And that's some MacGyver Jesus. shit right there. If we're on. <laughs> I'm such a wimp. I don't think I have calluses on my feet. Yeah, it's like, who would have <laughs> thought that? It's like, at this point. Hmm, where, where, could I, where could I get some more? Some more skin for my callus. I know. My oh, that's, heel. That's real gear talk, man. <laughs> that is the real crap. Unbelievable. That is uh, that is something else. And, I mean, can I ask you? I, I need to know more for, about you. So, um, if, if you got, if you have time and are willing. But, uh, Fair enough. Um, what it, do you have, I like, do you have like a practice routine or at this point or do you, just play or, or I'm like I don't, I've never what, been very disciplined, but I do play all the time. You know, I, uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't really have hobbies. It's like, I, it's like I reproduce and I, and I play guitar. <laughs> I only do one of those things. So you got me peeping. 
And so I, I find that, um, you know, I, I usually like, you know, last night, you know, my, my wife was uh, listening to the Bucks game and, and I just can't, I, I just can't get down with sports lately. I get too worked up. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not really into sports, but if I get into it, you know, my heart starts beating and then I start swearing. Like at Rams, like, I don't know anything about this game, but all of a sudden I'm an expert. Like, that's the, that stupid son of a, you know what I mean? I go, so it's like, I don't need it. So she's listening. Plus they're losing and the kids are doing something. So it's like, I'm going to play along with Albert King. So I'll just, you know, grab my phone and go on my, you know, I, I finally um, submitted to, you know, subscri uh, subscribing to iTunes, you know, so I can listen to anything I want. And I'll just find myself, I, I've liked to play along to records quite a bit. Um, you know, and then uh, like a tune will come across and I'm like, well, I haven't played that tune in a while. What was it? Like it was a Kenny Burrell thing. I, that tune, uh, Midnight Blue. I hadn't played that one in a while. So I, I started doing it by ear and I was like, no, that's not right. So then I grabbed the record and I was listening to it, and so I'll, I'll figure it out. So it's so it's it's kind of a combination of writing tunes, um, and you know every day I try to come up with a little something, and sometimes I'll just like grab a random, sometimes I'll just see something visually and say, well that could work, technically, and then I'll you mean do just it like, visually on on the fretboard, yeah, just like and I'll looks. just kind of go, well that's weird, and then I'll and then I'll build something whole uh, just around that thing. And, um, and that might be a tune, it might be a, a lick, um, but it, it, it's kind of that. So it's, it's a combination of uh, just fishing things out, you know, revisiting things, coming up with something new. A lot of times if I'm just scrolling on Instagram, you know, someone might, you know, do just a, a little thing. Like, it all it takes is like a chord. You know, well, I'll give you an example. When I saw you doing... Um, you did that thing on uh, on way back home, and it was oh, yeah. like a uh, 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 I got to remember. Am I tuned to some? Yeah, uh, the, the gospel turn yeah, the gospel thing. thing. Yeah, and yeah. I came up with a tune using that. Awesome. Uh, am I on a tune? So it's, it's stuff like nice. that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll hear a little, a little thing or a little wiggle or something like that. I'm like, well, that's cool. You could take that and do this. And so it's 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 com it's a combination of all those things. But it's just really playing all the yeah. time. Oh, cool. Uh, much to the annoyance of my loved ones, Duke. I got to mm. be honest with you. They uh, got headphones right? again. <laughs> oh, that's cool. No, it's good to hear. It sounds kind of familiar because I'm not. I'm not. I don't have any kind of could probably tell any strict routine or, or I'm not that disciplined in, in, in practice techniques, but, uh, and I'm the only, the only other thing I'm wondering from you is did you ever consciously, how much did you spend time on time and feel like when you were coming up or did you, or was it more that I am constantly fascinated because you have, I, I, you have amazing time and feel. And I just, I wonder. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, I've, uh, we all have, at least I know I do. I, I have a tendency, if I get excited, I'll push, I'll push shit. So I have a, a tendency, <laughs> I, I guess I wasn't really all that aware of time until I was in college. I did go to school for music. I really, as I like to say, I really majored in beer. But as the case may be, I did go to school studying Jazz Where did guitar. You go? I went to the uh, University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. I mm -hmm. and 
you know, my my parents, as people who've listened to this podcast before, my parents were very supportive of, of my music and so on and so forth, but they were also horrified that I was going into it as a profession. And, you know, my dad was an attorney and none of my other siblings were, you know, in the arts or musical or anything, that kind of stuff. So uh, it terrified them. Like they didn't know what I would end up doing and so on and so forth. So one thing that was absolutely paramount to them is that I just get a degree in something. So right. uh, I really, at the time... I was fascinated by all things Texas. You know, it's like um, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan came out in like, what, 82, yep. 83? And I was a junior in high school in 83, and I was already into a lot of the stuff. So when he came out, I was like, well, obviously I need to be in Texas because that's where all of that music that I like from is, is from. And I remember Herb Ellis had just opened up a guitar conservatory type of thing. I think it was Texas Guitar, something like that, in San Antonio. And I was mm -hmm. obsessed with going to this place. And my parents are like, it's not an accredited place. You're not going. And so I didn't really know where to go. So I ended up going to this, this college. And the guitar player who, that I mentioned to you that I had met at that, that camp that I went to in high school actually ran the jazz department at this little school in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And uh, oh, cool. so I went there. And it was a good thing because I wanted to know how to play over changes. And I wanted mm -hmm. to know how to write and read music. Um, at a professional level, you know, yeah. or at least what I thought was professional. <laughs> and uh, so that's where I ended up going. And um, so when I got there, I started becoming cognizant of the fact that people were like, well, that's rushed and that's ahead and that's behind. And, mm -hmm. and I remember the guy, there was a lot of guys there from Minneapolis and, and they were really into Prince because many, that's when Prince was all happening. And, mm -hmm. and, and they, and, and I didn't like, Prince. I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say at that time, it's like, the, I didn't like the sound of the stuff. I didn't like kind of the high school, high school drama club aspect of purple rain. And mm -hmm. I, 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 and I loved Hendrix and this was like, you know, I, I, I just saw it as, uh, it was, the intention was different. You know what I mean? Different me? thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and they were up on the beat. Everything was, you know, it was very, it, it was, a, and I didn't, wasn't even aware mm -hmm. of what that meant until I right. started playing some of the music I listened to. And they're like, oh, that's so far behind that it sounds, it sounds wrong. And that's really when it clicked for me that there was. That's like the difference between the North and the South. I yes, guess. exactly. <laughs> So I, I started to appreciate both. You know what I mean? It's like when I'm doing that chicken picket thing, I'm always push. You know, I'm I know I'm pushing the shit out of it. So I yeah, try but it feels completely perfect to me when you when you play it. It's oh, like, well, but it's got to be a little bit on top, right? That that's not a relaxed thing, anyways. Right, 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 of, right. right, right. So I, I I'm I'm more aware of it now. Um, than then, especially, you know, you know what, what really helped me too was when I started doing all those videos at Wild where it was just me playing. Hmm. Um, I started to come up with things that to me would sound okay as just solo guitar. And right. I think when I started doing that, then I became cognizant of that a little bit more. And and I will work with a with a metronome every now and again, but most of the time I just do this heel toe thing with my left foot on the hardwood floor. Um and I got to be honest, the Instagram thing has helped a lot because a lot of, you know, I, I'll do my little daily thing where I'll just play whatever comes to mind for the hell of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's days where, you know, I'll just turn it on and it loops and you're going to find out when it reaches the top of that loop, whether you're, whether you're at that same tempo All or not. Right. 
You know what I mean? So that, yeah. that's been helpful. I'm like, hey, you know, today's t- today's a good day. <laughs> that's cool, man. No, it's, yeah, it, 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 for sure, like this past year has got me, I started trying to play a little more just guitar by myself, which I hadn't done in a long time. And I worked on it. Hopefully I got a little better at it. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing, right? All of a sudden it's like, you know where your time's at, or at least approximately. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's cool. But I, I'm just fascinated with people that I think, you know, I, I listen to and have, have an amazing feel and time. I, I also think that some of it's just, it's, it's, in, it's uh, innate, I think, you know, and I think you, yeah, obviously you work on it and you play and you're, you're cognizant of it over the years, but I still think there's some people it's like, like, like a feel like, like, the actual feel like you can't duplicate a lot of times, but just the time feel too in the, in the, in the, how, how on the money the time is. I don't, it's, I think that's part of just, you're born with it. I think to well, a certain extent. I th- yeah. I think there's a, there's an environmental thing. I mean, you know, it's weird for as, as much as, um, you know, none of my siblings were musicians you know, my mom played piano and, um, and, she taught me the boogie woogie piano pattern when I was really. And she go, you know, oh so yeah, awesome. And she played it great, and 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 so I had the twelve bar form in my brain that I could play in time at a young age, and I think that helped quite a bit. It's kind of funny years years yeah. and years later after I got back from college, and uh, and my mom, you know, I'd be home for Christmas or whatever, and my mom would go in the other room after she, you know, had stuff simmering in the kitchen. She'd go and she'd sit at the, the baby grand and she'd start playing the stuff, you know? And I thought, you know, now that I'm older, I'm going to hear mom playing. It's probably going to be some cheesy shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, no, that sounds pretty, pretty good. You know? And she's, oh, that's so great. And so I'm not recognizing any of these melodies that she's playing. And so I'm like, mom, what are those things? I'm thinking, well, she took piano lessons, what, in the late thirties and the forties. Right. So what are these songs? And she's like, oh, I just make it up as I go along. I was like, oh, no way. I was like, oh. So it's like, you know, I felt bad because obviously my mom had abilities of which she's just like, yeah, well, you know, I'm the mother of seven and that's what I do. It's like, yeah, but yeah. There's, there's something going on there, Ma. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and I think a lot of people that generation, it was a consideration that if it's something you do that's fun, it would never be something that you would do as a choice or a career, right? It's like, right. well, that's fun. That's not, you know, yeah. Oh, that's that's wild. Do you have any recordings of her playing? Or I don't, and I regret that. I, I no. do remember one one uh, my uh, sister. One of my sisters ended up marrying this trombone player that I played with in college, um, and he still plays in in band. He's a math teacher, but he also uh, actually for a trombone player, it's amazing. The guy's gigging all the time. I mean, how is that even possible? But be that bless him. But uh, so there, if you if you're a trombone player out there, there's hope. Okay, so. You can't be <laughs> But he had a friend of his who gifted him a Hammond uh, B3, a chop B3. And he had it in his basement. And this is years ago. And I remember it was Christmas Eve. We're all over there. And after some, you know, frivolities were over, I went downstairs and I fired that damn thing up. And, and I just started, like, playing a blues. And, I just, and all of a sudden, my mom comes down. <laughs> and she goes, oh, a Hammond. And she comes in on the floor. And I was like, this, this can't be happening. It was... <laughs> That's so awesome. I love that. I was jamming with Rosemary. So, yeah, it was, uh, it's crazy.
It's the same. My friend Kevin, again, I'll just a quick story. Like he was when he started going to Berkeley and, and he's a beautiful jazz player. And he was home for like vacation, you know, the holidays or something. And, and he's practicing his standards, you know, and he's like, his parents are like whistling along. He's like, how do you know these songs? How do you know these songs? <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, we know them. They're, yeah, they're standards for a reason. Yeah, right, exactly. These they were pop songs. So know? speaking of that, what, what's your repertoire like as far as standards are concerned? Do, 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 you, do you have a, a bunch of them under your fingertips and can do them in any key and that kind of stuff? No. I don't have much at all for, you know, for standards. I mean, I did go through the, of course, the time and I went to music school where I did play, plays through some standards and, and I, you know, know how to play over changes, but it just, for some reason, man, that the standards repertoire, and I don't know why, and I love listening to people play it and it just never resonated with me as far as really loving to play that, that particular repertoire. I'm with, I you. don't know why. I'm with and, you. and it's and so therefore also haven't really spent a lot of time digging into really digging into playing over changes in a serious way. You know, I know how and I um, and I, and there are certain um, eras of that of, of, of the jazz world that I love and, and listen to a lot. And and I even if I've learning stuff lately, it's more like mo more modern stuff Well, modern, maybe like I love that early Pat Metheny stuff. Mm -hmm. I've been just kind of digging into some of his tunes because that's it's not you know it's far from that that world and that repertoire. But but yeah, I never I don't really have much in the way of those tunes. I mean, I know some of them still. I, I'm with you. It's like it you okay. know even though I went to school for jazz guitar and I, you know, one of the things I remember that was very interesting was that they were training people really to be one of two things. Either they were training you in college to be a music teacher or they were training you to be, and this sounds disrespectful, but they were training you to be a lounge lizard because that that was a profession that existed back then. You could go mm -hmm. and, and be in these, you know, when every Holiday Inn had, you know, bands that would come for two weeks and then go on to the next town or, yeah. or to be on a cruise ship. That was the other thing. It's like you could either be in a lounge band that was on a cruise ship and, you know, you, you play X amount of standards, you play the hits of the day, and all of a sudden, and I knew absolutely I wanted to do none of that shit. So, uh, and, and plus, I think to be honest with you, I mean, it was just speaking of my own personal dysfunction. It was it was some of the attitude that I got from the jazzers. And there uh, were some of the were they older dudes? Yeah, or, or, and, and, and even some of the guys or... that were you know my age that you know as we talked about before, you know everyone's searching for their identity, you know, and their identity was they were jazz. Uh, and that, and, and, and what always killed me about it is you'd, you'd encounter these people that, oh, you're playing that rock shit and rock shit to them was anything from like Devo to yes. It was all the, <laughs> it was all the same thing, uh, right. that rock <laughs> shit, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And you're like, you the know, there's, band. there's yeah. quite a, there's quite a bit of difference in there. Uh, or else it's like, like saying that jazz shit, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. The world. Yeah. Um, exactly. Correct. And so it wasn't until later that, uh, you know, I started to actually enjoy playing some of the, the tunes, and there's a few of them that I know. But, you know, most of them are always kind of bluesy, you know. You know, Round About Midnight, that's a fun tune, or Pork Pie Hat, you know, stuff like that. Or or just or, or the Horace Silver stuff, you know, Song for My yeah. Father, stuff, you know what I mean. I love that, yeah. That's the same. I'm in that world pretty much. And and I love Mingus is one of my favorites. It's like just a 
listen to it at all times, you know. And but yeah, that's I I kind of lucked out because at the school I went to, there wasn't a really an attitude about that. Even from the heavier jazzers, they you know they were cool. Like I studied with this guy Mick Goodrick, who's an amazing guitar player, and but you know he knew I wasn't like a dedicated jazzer and really immersed but it was cool you know he still showed me everything i wanted to know and so and where was, was that a, that you went to school i was new england conservatory okay which was mostly a classical school they had a small jazz department and uh and it was very loose you know they didn't it wasn't like berkeley where they had proficiencies and like a tight thing where you had the curriculum you had to learn for better or worse and all the people i met there man were surprisingly everybody was open and great and all the players that were there that were friggin' monstrous like I mean, that's where I met John Medeski was there. That's oh, cool. where we met. And just people were open, even the jazzers. Like no one, there was no vibe because, you know, I wasn't a jazzer, but people were like, yeah, come on and play. And, you know, it was, it was a nice, it was a nice scene there at that time. Awesome. Well, you know, that also speaks to something I remember hearing when I was younger is that uh, this older guy that had done a bunch of stuff and played with a bunch of the who's who, he always used this line to me and I found it to be true. And he said, all the heavies are as light as feathers. And that's true. If you got people who know how to play and they're just going after their thing, they're very inclusive and cool, but it's all the people who, you know, need to identify with this certain niche thing because that speaks to their insecurities or whatever. Those are usually the people that'll give you a hard time about whatever. (laughs) True. Yeah. And that can happen in the school atmosphere because they're, you know, sometimes not, not everybody's out there playing, you know, they're just in that environment. Yes. That can lead to that too, I guess. Exactly. So, you know, we got a little bit extra time. Actually, we're getting kind of late here. You, you good on time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. I was just going to ask you, so, you know, you've pretty much stayed in the Boston area. Have you have you thought about relocating or are you, you're cool with being where you are? And how has that worked out one way or the other? Yeah, um, I have thought about it. Here and there, so my thing was shortly after, I didn't go to college right after high school. I went, I played in a band for a few years, then I went to music school. Then probably a few years out of music school, I moved to Boston from my hometown. I lived like an hour from here. And uh, I started playing, there was a heavy like singer-songwriter scene around here. There was a lot of that going on. And, and a few people that I met at school were starting to produce records and doing that kind of thing, right? And Boston had a pretty good scene for that and some work. And a few years later, I got a, a good touring gig with Mary Chapin Carpenter. Oh, okay. So I played with her for like six or seven years, I think, pretty pretty straight through. And then, and so at that point, I felt like, well, I don't I don't feel like I have to live somewhere else because I'm on the road right. and most of the time. And I, and I, I stopped doing that gig like early 2000s. And at that point, I wasn't sure what to do. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't sure I wanted to move. And around that time, I think I I started doing, getting a little bit more session work down in New York, which is, you know, it's like a four hour drive from here. Okay. And, you know, not all the time, but, you know, maybe once a month or go down for a few days. And there was, there was still a good bit amount of work around Boston too, you know, to make people making records, a few good studios. So I didn't feel like that I needed to move for work at that point. And, you know, I'd go down to Nashville once in a while to do something. And uh, yeah, that just over the years, I don't know, it just, you know, it felt like home here. And, and every time I thought about it in the meantime, and I'm sure, you know, as, as uh, even, you know, through the 2000s, all of a sudden it seemed like people that we know in those places 
were saying, well, there's not as much work here. as there, There's exactly. not as much work in New York as there used to be. There's not even as much. Nashville's probably where everything is the most work at this point, I would guess, like for tours and, and studio stuff. But, um, you know, and the music centers are still the music centers. But I didn't feel like at that point, it's like, well, it's super expensive and there's not as much work. It's like, right. I'm kind of doing what I want here. And, and I haven't. I don't really have any regrets so far. Yeah, I'm in the same. same yeah, you're in Milwaukee, thing. which is a freaking great town, man. Oh, you you've been? I have been. Yeah, I've been the last time. I we played at a casino. Maybe is there like a casino Absolutely. gig near there? The Potawatomi. Yep. Yeah, um, with with Peter Wolf, who I've been playing with for the last bunch of years. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then maybe we did the state fair. Is it? Oh yeah, or Summerfest? You probably did Summerfest. Summerfest. And which was okay. That was an okay gig. And I, I think Brian Setzer was playing. We were like at the next stage over, like at the same time. Right. So not only couldn't we go to see Brian Setzer, like, but you could uh, hear him, like he was next door. No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. But uh, we got. But it was cool. I think that was the last time I was there. That was a few years ago. Well, the reason why I said and, it is because there was a Summerfest. It, it can have. They've got so many stages on this lakefront area that um, you know when you're on stage, it's it's not unusual to be able to hear what's going on at the next right. stage over and so on and so forth. And one year Ray Charles was playing and, um, and we had just got done playing and we're in the vehicles headed out. And the guy who was the, the driver is like, all the stage is dark. They, Ray Charles said, I'm not playing another note until every one of these other stages stop it because he was the headline. They all had yeah. to stop because he yeah. could hear it. Wow. That's he had very wild. sensitive ears. I remember, <laughs> I remember hearing somebody who played in his band said he got so pissed at him because Ray said something that he, that he threw his shoe at him and Ray ducked because <laughs> he could hear it coming. <laughs> wow. And now I have to do, was, I'm not, I may get this wrong. Was, do you know Glenn Worf, the bass player? I don't uh, know if he was from familiar, Milwaukee. But... No, he's in Nashville now. Or uh, did you ever know Peter Mulby? Oh, yeah, I know Peter. Yep. You know Peter, yeah, right? Because yeah. he's here, you know, now for this was a, Cambridge and Boston was kind of his second home. And right, now exactly. he's living out here. So he's, he's great, man. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, he was but, buddies but, with a good buddy of mine named Willie Porter. Do you know Willie? I know Willie, too. Fantastic player, right? He's yeah, awesome. Willie and I are, are long. Right. Are oh, cool. Long time buddies. And he li oh, lives not too far away from here. Oh, tell him I said hello, please. I, I haven't seen him in a long time. It was kind and, of funny. At one point in, in high school, um, uh, my daughter and his daughter were in the sit were uh, did a duet together. It was fantastic. Yeah, I've known oh, him for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I like it out there. I like, I like Madison, Milwaukee, and well, it's an interesting thing, you know. Over the years, you know, practicing wise or um, you know, music wise, as far as like touring and everything, I did everything from here so it really didn't matter but my kids right. the schools are great cost of living is great you know and all that kind of stuff but you know as as the uh, as the climate gets a little bit more iffy it's like boy this may be the best place to live <laughs> yeah no kidding man <laughs> there's a big giant fresh water thing right over here mm -hmm. and there's really no tornadoes and you know yada yada the, yada the coasts the coasts aren't as uh, solvent as they were yes you know? maybe there'll be uh Less pestilence here behind the cheddar curtain. You're welcome, Duke. Come on over. <laughs> and I love, no one loves cheese more than me, so. <laughs> love the curds. I love it all. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I know that last time um, 
uh, I think pro- before COVID, I was I was going to be out in that neck of the woods. We were hopefully going to get together, but I'd love to come out and see you and hang out. Please, and, um, I would love that, man. And it's so great to get to hang a little bit. And thank absolutely. you so much for inviting me to do this. It's oh, well, it's my pleasure. I'm a big fan, and I look forward Likewise. to hearing you again soon, hopefully, and maybe do some playing one of these days. Let's do it. Be awesome. All right, Please, dude. You man. take care of yourself. Thanks, Thanks again. Thanks, Greg. Thanks Bye-bye. so much. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon. <laughs>